sermon series on prayer was called, Why Pray? And so we looked at the reasons why we ought to pray, and we also dealt with some of the theological issues that we have concerning prayer. If God is sovereign, why pray? If God already knows what's going to happen, actually that's today's sermon, why pray? But we also said, can prayer change the mind of God? And so those are some of the things we looked at when we talked about why pray. Now we are moving towards the second installment of this sermon series on prayer. And the second installment of the sermon series on prayer is simply called, Lord, teach us to pray. We talked about why we ought to pray. Now we need to know how to pray. Now, I could have come up with something cute and creative as far as uh, talking about how to pray. But these are the words from Scripture. If you look at Luke chapter 11, which is not our text this morning, the text says that Jesus went into a, 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 a far place to pray. And when he came back, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he gives them the model prayer, not the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer is in John chapter 17. This was the model to teach us how to pray. And so starting next week, we will dive into this model prayer, or you can even call it the disciples' prayer. And so the next couple of weeks, we'll look at that. But in Luke 11, his, this disciple says, Lord, teach us to pray. Why use those words? Because oftentimes, when it comes to learning how to do something in church, we start with the practical rather than the biblical. I just said something. You don't even realize it. We are very pragmatic people. And in, 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 in the uh, a desire to be practical and very pragmatic, to, to be very concrete and detailed, we start with our human ideas rather than God's ideas of how to do it. People want to know, well, how do you make disciples? We don't start with human ideas. We start with Bible ideas. You want to know how to pray, don't start with what some man says in the book. Start with the God man says in the book. And so today I simply wanted to start us on this journey of Lord teach us to pray. Before Jesus ever gets into the Lord's prayer, our Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He first gives his disciples a preliminary set of instructions on effective praying. Look with me at Matthew chapter number 6. In the book of Matthew, of the Bible, Matthew chapter number 6, Jesus Christ gives his disciples some preliminary instructions 
on prayer. When I initially was putting this sermon series together, even as I prepared this week, I said, Lord, these people are going to boo me off the stage because it's such a basic sermon. I'm almost embarrassed to preach it, but for some reason, he who is king of kings, he who is omniscient said, my disciples need to know this. And so because the master teacher taught it, then his servant teacher should teach it to his people. Matthew chapter number six, beginning with verse number five. One thing that I also want you to be excited about is that as we go through this series, Lord, teach us to pray, the whole, this whole installment is about what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And so we're going to hear from the master teacher himself when it comes to prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. He says this, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've got two points for you this morning. And they're simply this. First, Jesus teaches his disciples the wrong way to pray. The wrong way to pray. Jesus opens in verse 5 by saying, when you pray. Notice here that Jesus assumes that his disciples will pray. Jesus expects those who follow him to pray. And so Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. So the astute person who reads and studies scripture says, what is a hypocrite? I'm glad you asked. A hypocrite literally means someone who pretends. It is someone who is a pretender. In Greek culture, it was the ter- this same term, hypocrite, was used for someone who was a play actor. They, they, they were not themselves, but, to, but pretended to be someone else. The, 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 the hypocrite was the actor who wore a mask so people couldn't see who they really were. This is free. It has nothing to do with the sermon. The problem with community is the church is that we've got too many people wearing masks than being them, their authentic selves. But also, the church has to, do, has to do a better job of accepting people where they are 
and not shaming them and judging them and looking down on them and letting them know we receive you as you are like our Savior received us as we are. So take off your mask, be who you are, but just like Christ, we love you too much to let you stay like you are. Because you were designed, you were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Which means that as, after you become a believer, we are all in progress and we are all trying to make progress to be more like our master. That's free. Let me get back to my text. These hypocrites, they were pretenders. They were play actors. To understand why Jesus says this, if you go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this to his disciples. Jesus is in the midst of his sermon on the mount, and he's teaching his disciples. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And Jesus now, he says, in regards to prayer, don't be like the hypocrites because all they want is to be seen. They like to practice, practice their righteousness before others. The, the, when they pray, they look for an audience. They, they were not really concerned with righteousness. They only wanted to pretend to be righteous so that they could receive praise of men. How do we know? Look at Jesus' explanation for telling his disciples not to be like hypocrites. He said, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they might be seen by others. Jesus says the hypocrites only prayed in the synagogues and on the street corners for the sake of appearance. Their desire was not to be righteous, but they only wanted to appear righteous. They only wanted to make themselves look to be holy and pious. So Jesus says, don't be like them who stand in the synagogue. You got to remember, the synagogue was the center of Jewish life. Not only did, did, did people practice their religion in the synagogue, but also all kinds of civil matters were settled at the synagogue. So people came there constantly, and many people came there constantly for various reasons. But if you also think about it, he says not, not only those people who stand in the synagogue, but also those at the street corners. At the intersection of two streets, you have a lot of people. And so the Jewish, this, this supposedly pious Jewish person would, would go to the place where there were the most people congregating and they would put their righteousness on display. And Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. Jesus is not so much criticizing the place of prayer, but he's criticizing their motives. That, that, that's what Jesus is after here, their motivation for public prayer. Their motive in praying, the hypocrites, was strictly to be seen by others and to be lauded by others. 
Their ultimate desire was the applause of men. They wanted to be praised and approved by men. And Jesus says they have already received their reward. Question. Give me some more freebies. Do you live for the applause of men or the applause of heaven? Oh, that sounds like a good uh, bridge group question. Can I put a parenthesis in this sermon real quick? I'm going to do it regardless. Some of you are struggling in life because all you desire is to be accepted and approved by others. One principle that Jesus gives us, he says, if that's what you want, you may get it, but that's all you're going to get. You want the applause of men? Have it. But you must remember, God said, my glory I will share with no other. So Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites, because they, their reward is they see men see them. So when it comes to prayer, don't be like the hypocrites. Not only should you not be like the hypocrites, that's the wrong way to pray, but you also shouldn't be like the pagans. Skip down to verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now, let me make sure you understand something. When Jesus says the Gentiles, he's not specifically speaking based on ethnic distinction. He uses the term Gentiles to refer to those who are outside the community of faith. These are people who are unbelievers. They're not fully devoted followers of Christ. They, 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 they are outside God's chosen special people. And he says, don't pray like them. Why not? Because they heap up empty phrases. Because they think they will be heard for their many words. The, the King James Version says, don't, Jesus says, use not vain repetitions. Before we can really understand what Jesus means by this, we first need to look at what Jesus does not mean when he says, don't heap up empty, empty phrases or vain repetitions. First of all, Jesus does not mean you cannot repeat your request. Okay? How do we know this? Because Jesus himself repeated his request to his heavenly father. Jesus, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And, and he, he goes there and he tells his disciples, you stay here, watch and pray. Jesus goes off to pray, and this is his prayer. Father, let this cup pass from me. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus goes back to his disciples, and what are they doing? He told them to watch and pray, and all they're watching is the back of their eyelids. Knocked out. He says, I told y'all to watch and pray, so do it. Second time, Jesus goes back, and here's the record. He hits his prayer. Father, let this cup pass from me. 
Not my will be done, but your will. Jesus goes back to his disciples. Guess what they're doing? <sighs> Counting sheep. Jesus says, didn't I tell y'all not to, to just to watch and pray? And you're sleeping. Jesus, the third time, goes back. And the record says he prayed the same words again. So Jesus cannot be saying you can't repeat your request. Jesus, when he says don't heap up empty phrases or use not vain repetitions, he is not discouraging persistent prayer. Jesus himself taught his disciples, and we're going to look at it. Luke chapter 18, he says that all men ought to pray and not faint. In other words, Jesus says, pray and don't give up. Because there's going to be times where the first time you pray, you don't get the answer that you're looking for. So what do you do? You push. You pray until something happens. Keep praying. So, 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 he's not discouraging persistent prayer. Thirdly, when Jesus says, don't heap, heap up empty phrases, use not vain repetitions, he's not discouraging lengthy prayers. Luke chapter 6 says, Jesus prayed all night. So then, what did Jesus mean when he said, heap up? Don't heap up empty phrases. What you have to understand about pagans is when they pray, they will use and pile up as many names as they could for their deities. And their hope was that they would say at least one name that would get that God's attention. And by getting that God's attention, hopefully that God would respond and give them what they were asking for. And Jesus is saying, that's not how prayer works with your heavenly father. Length of prayer does not equate to effective praying. Not only would these pagans heap up all these names, but when they prayed before their deities, they would remind them of favors that were owed to them. It was, in other words, it was a quid pro quo relationship. This for that. I did this for you, so you need to do this for me. Their goal in doing that was to manipulate their gods and to give them what they wanted. And Jesus is teaching us, teaching his disciples and us by way of extension, that it is both unnecessary and unhealthy helpful to try to manipulate God into giving you what you want. And Jesus says the reason God can't be manipulated is, it's right here in the scripture, verse 8, the Father already knows what you need before you ask him. Yes, he does. Oh, I have one thing, God, but the quiet person in his mind just said, if he already know, then why pray? That's why I love pastoring the bridge, because y'all are some thinking people. Sometimes you get on my nerves with all these questions, but I love it. Here, 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 here. Let, let me deal with that quickly. Two reasons why we ought to pray 
though God already knows what we need. Number one, look closely. You, you can't read too fast. He says, he says to his disciples, your father. Ooh, I almost ran, y'all. See, for the pagans, remember, their relationship with their God was contractual. You, you give me this because I did, I, I, I performed my end of the contract, so now you perform your end of the contract. But Jesus is teaching his disciples that, that, that prayer is not based on a contract, but when you pray to your heavenly father, prayer is based on a covenant. I don't want to work this hard this morning. I got me a new shirt on. <laughs> Remember, Jesus, when, when he chose the children of Israel, he made this covenant to him. This is some of the covenant language that God uses. He says to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. In other words, we have a familial connection. So prayer then, it's not based on a contractual relationship like quid pro quo, but rather prayer for the children of God is based on a covenantal relationship. In prayer, we're saying, God, come through on your promises. We just preached about Moses last week. You remember Moses was up at the mountain? Because y'all know y'all remember all my sermons. Moses was up at the mountain. The, he, he took too long. The people said, we, we don't know what happened to Moses. So they made them a golden calf. And they worshiped this golden calf saying, you brought us out of the land of Egypt. And God said to Moses, Moses, get down from here. Your people, they done messed up now. And I'm going to wipe them out. Here's Moses' prayer. Lord, remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You promised, covenant, that you will multiply their seed and their offspring and bring them into their own land. When we start speaking God's word back to God says, now I know you believe in me, so now let me move. And, 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 and that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. You have a father as your God. Not just some statue that you bow down to and you can manipulate, but you are a child of the Most High King. You are a kid, a, a kid of the King. And so you can ask him for whatever your heart's desire. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. If I had some church folk in here, you'd be shouting right now at the promise that God gives you when you pray. Woo-wee, my wife better get here back quick because I need some more amens. <laughs> and so Jesus says, the reason we pray, though God already knows what we need before we ask him, is because this is based on a covenantal relationship. He is the father and you are his child. And being his child comes with certain privileges. But secondly, the reason we pray, though God already knows, is because prayer is a demonstration or our expression of our trust in our Father. Prayer is how we express faith in God. Hear this, hear this, this is what you want to write down. It is faith that moves the hand of God. 
I even bolded that. I thought y'all liked that. Let me see. Maybe you need me to prove it to you. Jesus, 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 the God-man, Jesus, who is God, he went to Nazareth. Remember, Nazareth was his hometown. Jesus goes into the synagogue, and he does his good teaching. The people in the synagogue, they were astonished at his teaching. And here's how they respond. Hey, hey, ain't that the carpenter's son? He's just a carpenter's son. <laughs> is, that, is not his mother called Mary? Remember, she got pregnant before they were actually married. And Joseph hadn't even touched her. That's, that's Mary's son. And the scripture says they took offense at Jesus. And Jesus says, a prophet is without honor in his own country. And here's how that episode ends. And Jesus did not do many works there because of their unbelief. Church, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And prayer, then, is how we demonstrate our faith in our almighty God. In prayer, we, we, we say, Father, we're coming to you because we believe you're able to do exactly what it is we need. It is in prayer that we express our dependence on him. So then we ought to be people who say, it is because he already knows what we need that we go to him in prayer. So Jesus says, I've given you now two wrong ways to pray. Second point, and I'm done. Let me give you the right way to pray. Go back to verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. This room that Jesus referred to, refers to was the inner room, a closet. It was likely the only room in the whole house with a door. And, and in this inner room, there were no windows. It, it was this, this inner room was secure from observation from the street. So Jesus says to his disciples, when you pray, go into this inner room. Go, go into this private place. Why? Because when you pray, your audience is not men. Your audience is God. When you pray, you should have a single eye on God and nobody else. So, so go into the private place, the secret place, so that you can shut out the prying eyes of men and then shut yourselves in with God. Question, will God be there? Because we, we typically go to the synagogue. Or we face toward the synagogue when, when, when we pray. And Jesus says this, and pray to your father who is in secret. Here's how the original language reads. 
and pray to your father, the one who sees in the secret. In other words, pray to your father because he sees you in that secret place. Not only does he see you in that secret place, but he'll meet you in that secret place. The essence of prayer, church, is to be in the presence of God. The goal of prayer is to seek God. So Christ here, let me make something very clear. Christ here is not rebuking public prayer. No, 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 no. The goal of private prayer is to purify our motives. Remember, Jesus here is after motives, not necessary practice. The motive of all prayer, whether in private or in public, should be to be in the presence of God and to commune with him and express our trust in him who is our heavenly father. There's a wrong way to pray, and there's a right way to pray. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, when I pray, am I trying to manipulate God into giving me what I want? When I pray, am I praying more like Christ taught his disciples to pray, or am I praying more like a hypocrite? When I pray, Am I praying to my heavenly Father? Or does my prayer life exhibit one who is more like a pagan? The goal of all of these sermons has been to motivate us and push us to more regular and fervent prayer. So as we ended last week, here's how we respond corporately to this sermon. We pray. And that's what we're about to do. We're just going to simply pray to our Heavenly Father. If, 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 let me make something very clear here. Let me make something very clear here before we pray. I need to correct some universal theology. God is not everyone's father. God is not everyone's father. God is everyone's creator but he's not everyone's father. Why the distinction? Because John said only those who believed did he give the right, the authority to become children, a son of God. The prerequisite to God being your father, to you being a child of God, is belief in his son. 
the promises that we shout about when it comes to prayer is because we know we are his child and he is our father. Those promises are specifically for children of God. If you are here today and you are not yet trusting in the Son of God for forgiveness of sin, you are the Gentile. You are the pagan. You are the person that's outside the community of faith. You are outside of Christ. And you are in a realm where you are known as a child of wrath. Ephesians 2. How do I become then a child of the God? How, how does God become my father? You must recognize that you are a sinner. a spiritual criminal and that you deserve God's just and righteous wrath. You deserve his condemnation. And in recognizing that, you realize I need to be rescued from the wrath of God. What you call rescue, we call salvation. You need to be saved from the wrath of God. The only way for you to become a child of God is to believe in Jesus Christ, his person. He is the son of God. He, 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 Jesus, being the son of God, took the penalty that you deserved. What penalty do you deserve? You deserve eternal separation from God in hell because you are a sinner. How do I know that? Because the book says it. The truth is, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, wages are what we earn. What we've earned is eternal separation from God. Death. But God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to take the death that you so deserved. The sinless one, Jesus. He who's without guilt, Jesus, became guilty so that you could become innocent. The only way God can become your heavenly father is that you believe in Jesus Christ, the son of God, who died on a cross for your sin was buried. And the good news is he rose on the third day with all power in his hand. That's what distinguishes our Savior from every other supposed Savior. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. You might be wondering, how do you know he lives? Because he lives within my heart. Trust me, you, when I'm up here, y'all see Pastor Brandon. If he didn't live within my heart, I wouldn't be up here. I'd be doing something that brought me much more pleasure. Not that this doesn't bring me pleasure. But y'all know how our sinful, deceitful hearts can be. 
he lives. And it is putting all your trust and confidence in him. To those who believe them, he gave the right. That's how we become a child of God. This is exclusive. Jesus, there is no other way. Jesus. Not being good, just Jesus. Not because you grew up in a Christian house, just Jesus. Being good, growing up in a Christian home, will still send you to hell without Jesus. It is then when we believe that we can say, our Father. That's what we'll look at next week. Because the next verse, verse 9, Jesus says, pray like this, our Father. If you are here today and you are not yet trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what I just shared with you was the gospel, the good news, that you can be rescued from eternal condemnation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Your response to that good news is to simply trust and believe. Jesus becomes your, God becomes your heavenly Father. Everybody in here, not just unbelievers, needs the gospel because we are all tempted to try to earn God's favor. If you're not careful, you too will approach God as if there's a quid pro quo relationship. I'll do this and hopefully God will give me favor. That's not gospel. That's works. Everything that we have, it's all because of his grace. I'm saved by grace. I am being saved by grace. That's called sanctification. And one of these days, I will be saved from the very presence of sin. By grace, that's called glorification. All of us in here need to hear the gospel regularly because we are tempted to try to uh, enter this relationship with our Heavenly Father every day based on a contract rather than a covenant. He's your father. When BJ and Brianna, those are my children, when, when they were born, I didn't make them sign on the dotted line. They have certain privileges and rights just because I'm their daddy. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to take care of you. I will provide for you. I'm going to give you what's best. I'm going to point you in the right direction. I'm going to transfer my faith to you, hoping that one day you will put your own faith in Jesus. I just do that because I'm your daddy. You ain't got to sign on no dotted line. You are my child. And because I love you, there will be times where I have to discipline you because I only want what's best for you. I want you to look like your Savior, Jesus Christ. And so don't, I do this because I love you. You don't have to do that based on a contract. I do this because I love you. And every good and perfect gift that we get from our Heavenly Father, it's because we are his child. That's why we need to rehearse the gospel to ourselves every day. Because we need to know that we are living by grace. 
So if you're here today and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to know. Put it on a bridge card. Give it to us. We want to get in contact with you. We want to give you somebody who can connect with you, uh, be with you one-on-one to make sure you understand, and then teach you how to walk with Christ eternally. So now, Jeff, where are you? Will you come and strum a little bit? That'll be our white noise. And so we're going to ask for you just simply to pray. And after we pray to our Heavenly Father, we're going to remember the sacrifice of His Son through communion. Whatever it is, take it to God. Something has been on your heart. Something has been on your mind. Something has concerned you. Something uh, 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 has worried you. And Jesus says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Let's pray.